0: Joining Brian and Brett now on Sports Time is National College football writer for CBS Sports, Memphis native and Tennessee grad, who you can find on Twitter acts at David W. Cobb. It's David Cobb.
1: David Cobb joins us now to talk some college basketball and college football. David, so, uh, thank you so much for joining us. I want to start off with the Tigers, their big win yesterday over FAU. And I think over these last two games, we had the bad week last week where they go out and, and lose to North Texas. They lose um, and really don't show up against uh, SMU. But since then, a home win against Charlotte uh, that they won very handedly and now home win against Florida Atlantic. What do those t- two games mean, and do you think this Tiger team can get this thing rolling going into the conference tournament?
2: Well, hello, guys. I think it at least gets them back into the stratosphere of, like, maybe there's a glimmer of hope. For at large and I mean a glimmer it is not a uh, a light at the end of the tunnel and a, oh all we got to do is beat FAU on the road uh no you probably got to win out these last few in the league and then you probably would at least have to make the AAC title game but maybe it's back on the table now uh that, that you could be at large still don't trust this team completely but obviously a huge win I'm surprised that they're able to hold it together with everything they've gone through and, uh, with all the, uh, the, uh, academic news breaking on Malcolm Dandridge, you know, before the game, that's a pretty significant, uh, personnel loss and a pr- pretty significant headline. Uh, didn't derail them though. So, um, give them credit. They're, they're still fighting. They're still playing. It's just, I don't see anything more than a glimmer when it comes to their at large hope.
3: David, do you think it's important or, or not important that this is not NCAA? This is your own compliance department leading this investigation.
2: Well, that's a great point, Brett. as a great point because, uh, if you're snitching on yourself, it's got to be pretty bad, right? Mm. <laughs> you, you don't, you don't turn yourself in, uh, unless there's something that, uh, unless there's a lot of smoke there, right? And so yeah, that is significant. That's a major detail in all of this. This isn't the NCAA, uh, coming in and, and trying to take a scalpel to Memphis like they did with Wiseman or whatever you want to uh, pick up on from over the years. This is, yeah. Uh, self-reported issue and you know uh, at the end of the day going to class is is still part of of college basketball um you know this is the nil era this is the transfer portal era players players are getting paid and all that but like you, you still have to go to class or you still at least have to put up a certain gpa to be academically eligible and so uh if you're circumventing that, then that kind of cuts to what a university's identity is. <laughs> uh, so, it's, yeah, that's a major detail. So this is something that they are investigating internally, and it makes you wonder what's the what's the next um, sort of headline going to be mm-hmm. on all the.
3: And then, and the initial report was players. When we thought it might be more suspensions for Sunday, it wasn't. It was just one, and it even alluded to other sports.
2: Yeah. You, you you always wonder with something like this how how wide ranging is it how isolated was it who had knowledge of it um, you know the the first one that comes to mind is the North Carolina scandal from several years back involving basketball players uh, sort of a, a phony program there that they were all enrolled in uh, for for athletic purposes and you know we all know that for these high level athletes at major programs there are certain academic disciplines that they are steered toward because the it's not as rigorous as chemistry or biology. If you're majoring in, um, you know, Russian polka dance history or something, right, yeah. it's a little bit easier than, than going through uh, biology classes and algebra classes and everything. And so, you know, that's always been the case. Like, we've always looked for shortcuts in, in athletics when it comes to keeping our guys eligible, and that's across the board at Memphis and every other place. It could be
3: anywhere sports. tomorrow. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's it's everywhere, and uh, but but what is not everywhere is these detailed, maybe coordinated schemes of uh, of academic fraud. Like you know, <laughs> a lot of institutions they tow that line, and they've got a lot of uh, academic advisors who work specifically with athletics to make sure those guys stay eligible. But they get right up to that line of maybe writing that paper for them, and then you know at the end of the day, it's actually uh the, the player themselves who who typed it out on the page, right? So they're fine, right? So mm-hmm. so where's that line? And if the university feels that line was crossed, um, you know it's pretty serious.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely and we'll have to wait and see I know uh, Penny Hardaway didn't want to talk much about it before the game but he kind of said oh, well, I don't really know if it'll just be out for this game or out for the rest of the season so it feels like it's going to be kind of a wait and see type of thing uh, until we get more information uh, well David I'll go ahead and, and ask you it's kind of been the topic all around college basketball I'm sure you've been asked by everybody about it since what happened on Saturday where do you stand on court stormings obviously what happened with Kyle Phillip was not a good scene, and, and seeing him limp off down uh, the tunnel was not uh, pretty. But, but where do you stand on this whole court-storming storming controversy?
2: Maybe I'm in the minority here, but I love it. I love court-storming. Yeah. I don't love that Kyle Filipowski got hurt. Right. Uh, I don't love what happened to David Jones down at Tulane yeah. um, nope. a few, few weeks ago. Don't love that. But I, I love the passion, the pageantry, the energy, the moment of – Court storming—it's that, that energy, that passion, that student fervor It's what makes college sports. College sports. You take that, I mean, okay, you take that away. It's not, I mean, the students are still going to show up. They're still going to be loud. The atmosphere is still going to be great. But I love that moment, and, and I hope there's a way where we can kind of keep that a little bit. I mean, the SEC has tried to increase the fine. They have increased the fine significantly. Uh, you now pay the fine to the opposing school in the sec so lsu owes kentucky a hundred thousand dollars because of the court storming that happened at lsu a week or so ago uh, so there, there's certain deterrence that you can take but they're not really working all that well as, as we're seeing in the sec but I, I do have one example in mind of where this was managed properly and it was at iowa state a few weeks back when they beat kansas and so instead of just the uh just all-out mob as soon as the buzzer sounded they actually had a coordinated plan they funneled all the students um, into a specific direction so they could really only get out single file and that slowed them down all the players were safely uh, away from the mayhem Iowa state still had that moment but Kansas wasn't threatened and, and nobody got hurt and so like I don't know if, if we all need to go up to Iowa state and see what how they did that but You know, I just hope there's a way that maybe we can bottle that and keep court storming and just make it a little bit safer.
1: Well, I love that you brought that up because I brought up earlier uh, last week when Creighton beat UConn, and I they, people were posting videos about it. Kind of the same similar thing is the security was kind of funneling the students to the far side of the court so by the time yeah. they got on to it, they could have kind of all of UConn's area blocked off so that the team could get off. That's where I kind of stand. I feel this is more security, Wake Forest yeah. security, drop the ball than it is an issue with court stormings.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and, you know, because you're never going to be able to stop 1,000 or 1,500 mad, probably intoxicated, hmm. you know, students yeah. um, from getting on the floor, if that's what they want to do. Um, you can threaten legal consequences, but good luck mm. um, handcuffing 1,500 <laughs> of them, you know, um, if there's only 15 of your your security guards. Yeah. And so you got to have a, a way to funnel them, and you got to c- communicate that in advance. You say... All right. We strongly discourage students from rushing the floor. Uh, you know, those who do could be subject to uh, having their tickets banned. But uh, if you do, um, here's where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. And you know, so yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's tough. And and it's happened. It's been a, a hot topic even before Filipowski because we saw Caitlin Clark yeah. get hit in a celebration on the women's side. Uh, we also saw Matt Painter who rarely sounds off about anything, the Purdue head coach. He went off yeah. a few weeks ago because every time Purdue loses, they get court-stormed because they're perpetually one of the top five teams in the country. And so the only time they lose is on the road. And whenever they do, it's a big deal for that opposing team. And so, you know, if we get to a point where we completely eliminate it, I mean, I'm, I guess I'll be I'll, I'll survive, right? But, like, I think there's a way to be smart about it, to protect the pageantry and the, and the, the passion and uh, to
3: just do it a little bit safer. And, David, uh, earlier we were talking about and it's not many issues that I don't take a stand on, and I just couldn't get there with all the people so riled up about it all weekend. I mean, this morning I turned on the TV, and, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was it was veins bulging out of people over it. I'm just not there at all. And even Jay Bill is saying, you know, that people needed to be arrested. Now, if, that, if somebody accosted, uh, someone and, and took a swing, assaulted someone. Uh, well, of course they, they, the 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 law would apply. But as you mentioned, do you really want the look of of 200 people handcuffed?
2: It's just soft. Um, it, it's it's soft, and it kind of flies in the face of uh, of what college sports is all about. But you know, yeah, we got to protect the players. Uh, I get that. You know, we we can't have players getting shoved um and stuff and stuff like that but is the answer to just ban it all together outright and and how, how do you really go about enforcing that what what school what conference wants to be the one to put their own students in handcuffs um you know that's just it's a great marketing opportunity honestly that's what it comes down to for these athletic departments because they can they can hang up a photo of the court being stormed or the field being stormed. it's in every building um, you saw it on the football side a couple of years ago at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, they beat Alabama, and the Tennessee president, Randy Boyd, says, $100,000, we'll pay that every time. Hmm. Uh, every time. <laughs> and that scene on the field at Neyland Stadium uh, after they beat Alabama, that was worth more monetarily, just uh, the image of that, of that moment. That image was, was, was worth millions. Um, and and, and the down. fireworks,
3: the, the, the choreography at Neyland that day was was something to behold. I mean, they, they were ready to hit the celebration button, <laughs> and they did. And, and, and David, you, know, and, and you, you, you kind of juxtapose court storming, and especially at a place like at Duke where I would say there's some kind of protest daily in front of the administration building over some subject matter worldwide. We're not calling for those people to be arrested
2: right yeah it's uh, it's a college campus right mm-hmm. you kind of got to let the students rule the roost a little bit um, <laughs> that's that's what college is for mm-hmm. uh, so I, I, I don't know if I like uh, expelling or arresting or uh, stripping the tickets of students who, who storm the court I'm, I'm not sure that's the direction we want to go on college campuses but, yeah then it bleeds over into into other stuff without without the student tuition without the student passion there is no court there is right. no basketball program there is no uh there,
3: there was passion. some chancellor recently that that tweeted showed him out uh, he, he or she out on the court for some court storming where where was that there was somebody right. recently that, that, yeah. that there was you know, somebody in charge out there yeah. doing it
2: <laughs> yeah you're right you're right and it, it is you know i was never a part of a court storming because i was always you know in the press row or press box or whatever but uh it would have been fun, right? Sure. I, I would have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I would have been right there w- with them.
3: So uh, I get I, it. I've, I've been a part of one, and and I, and I wasn't primary to it. But uh, when I, my freshman year, Arkansas upset Texas, and everybody ran on out on the field, post came down of one end. I don't think we, I don't think they ever got to the to the north end zone. South end zone came down, and the only court storming I was ever a part of. Of it wasn't necessarily a storming, it was kind of a court milling around celebrating <laughs> after Arkansas beat Arkansas State
0: in an NIT wow, game.
2: Wow, you know what? I just thought of this. I was at the Memphis Ole Miss game as a fan, um, in football about six years ago, seven years yeah. ago, with Paxton Lynch. What a game! Mm-hmm. Um, and those guys beat Ole Miss, and I don't want to call it a field storming but no like it
3: was not but it was a it was a field milling about celebrating oh,
2: sure. yes and i was among them and i'm not even like you know y'all know me i mean i went to tennessee and i i you, know,
0: I'm, I'm, you jumped I, I, in I, on I, the phone
2: <laughs> yeah i mean at, at that point i think i was still covering uh outdoor recreation for the chattanooga times free press so like i didn't have you know i was just there but uh anyway i, I yeah i made my way onto the field and i was like well sir heck yeah let's do it you know but uh anyway i i hope we preserve the passion the things that make college sports special and find a way to do it safely because i do understand like the, the safety concerns and all this but uh, you know i just think the energy of, of uh, that we're gonna devote to this i'm sure over the next several months it would be better served just coming up with a, a solid exit strategy for the team to get off the field or off the court and uh, you know uh, that's that's what i think is probably the right move
3: and and this year in Oxford, it it was full rushing the field. post didn't come down, but full rushing the field uh, after Ole Miss defeated LSU and and LSU Twitter and and many were you know you know act like you've been there before. And and I said it that Monday, Bryant. Two of the last five times Ole Miss has been to Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. there's been the. Milling about, celebrating on the field, sure. but not goalposts coming down. Right. Two of the last five times, and then they want to lecture somebody about, "Well, why are you acting like you're so happy?"
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I love it. Um, I, most of the time, it goes it goes fine, but you also got to understand if you're if you're a if you're a student, you have to understand that there is a risk involved. If the goalpost falls on you, you could be severely injured. If if you trip on your way out of the student section. And you get trampled. You could be severely injured doing that. So it's a, you know, it's a a rush. Rush the field. Rush the court at your own risk. Um, and I think most college students are, are going to continue to take that risk.
3: Who are your top four teams right now, David?
2: Yeah. Well, the only problem is trying to figure out who number four is. <laughs> uh, and you can <laughs> like put a first... n-
3: ninety-way tie for fourth.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You can put whoever you want in that first in that first three in whatever order. it's you know, Houston, Purdue, UConn, uh, in whichever order. I think I would go at the moment, Houston, UConn, Purdue. Uh, and Four, totally up for grabs. Uh, could be North Carolina, uh, could be Tennessee. Uh, there's about 10 other schools that have a, uh, a realistic case to be considered there. Arizona could end up there. Um, that, that battle for that fourth number one seed,
1: it's, it's going to be interesting these next few weeks. Yeah, no, it absolutely will be. Uh, I, I, I want to go back to uh, the Duke-Wake Forest game for a second because I hate that the court storming happened because it took away from such a great game and such a great win for Wake Forest. This is a team that has been on the bubble, kind of outside looking in uh, for, for the most of these last couple of months, and it's really been, you know, they win the games they're supposed to win, but when they go up against one of these you know higher-level teams that could get them uh, onto the right side with a win they just can't come up with, it. Well, they finally mm-hmm. got that against Duke. So, kind of a two-part question here. Um, one for Wake Forest: Where do they sit right now for you in terms of a tournament team? And then, secondly, what have you made of what Hunter Solis has done this year? I mean, mm-hmm. Coming from Gonzaga, only averaging what, like four and a half points per game yeah. last year, and now is uh, just unbelievable for this Wake Forest team. I mean, he has been a difference maker for that group.
2: Yeah, 100%. I think there's an interesting story to be done that I, I will probably do. If Gonzaga is a missing the NCAA tournament uh, for the first time in a quarter century under Mark's view, because Hunter Salas uh, was there, he was a reserve. He didn't get to play much, he transferred. Uh, so same thing happened with Efton Reed, who is now at, um, at Wake Forest. Yeah. He was at, at Gonzaga, didn't play much behind Drew Timmy, he transferred out. Uh, and then they had another kid, Dominique Harris, who was on the team last year. He barely played. Really good, talented scholarship player. He transferred to Loyola Marymount, and he's one of the best players there now. So there's three really high-quality uh, rotation players now elsewhere in the country who could be playing for Gonzaga, but they aren't. And it's had a time when Gonzaga is really struggling with depth. One of the, the least beat teams in the country, and that's hurt them this year, and it's got them at risk of missing the NCAA tournament. And so, I don't know if you blame Mark Hugh for that. They, they've had some injuries and some personnel stuff that went, you know, kind of the, a way they might not have expected. But, you know, that, that hurts them. They, they mm-hmm. lost some guys that they could really use this year. And, uh, yeah, Salas, Salas has been amazing at Wake Forest. And, and I think Wake is probably going to get in uh, because they're taking care of business against the lesser teams. And so you're not seeing them drop games against Boston College. You're not seeing them drop games against Miami and teams of that caliber uh, this season. And so uh, the, the win over Duke is huge for them because it finally gives them that, that victory to hang their hat on. They're going to be one of those teams that gets into the tournament as like a an 8-seed or a 9-seed, and they're going to be really dangerous. And they're going to be somebody that, that nobody wants to see in, in a uh, potential second-round game.
3: David, I don't know that enough people are talking and writing about it. And I know just if you did it, it would set off alarms at a lot of places, but I think it, 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 it's certainly in play. Either this year or next year could be the last of the fabled ACC basketball tournaments that we really know of with all these players involved with North Carolina, Virginia, Clemson, North Carolina State, Florida State as part of the ACC. I, I, I don't see any way, spring of 26, all those teams are still a part of the ACC tournament.
2: Yeah, you know what? It would be a shame if realignment broke up the Tobacco Road rivalry. I mean, that would, be, that would be awful. Like, we saw Bedlam played in, in basketball for the last time over the weekend, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Uh, no, there's no intent, as of now, for those teams to continue playing in basketball. Surely, if the ACC were to break up and splinter and North Carolina ended up in the uh, in the high dollar league and Duke got left behind, surely those athletic directors, those two schools would figure out a way to keep playing. Right. Uh, but even if Duke and North Carolina get broken up and they keep playing as non-conference opponents, um, you wouldn't see them in the ACC tournament. You would only see them once a year. Whereas now you get it three times a year all the time with the ACC tournament. So, yeah, there could be some real nasty consequences on the basketball side if the ACC or slash win the ACC kind of uh, gets hit with uh, the realignment wave.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, over the weekend, we saw another, uh, situation involving Juwan Howard where he was having to be held back by, uh, by his players from going after an official. The player being one that is suspended for only road games, um, <laughs> which is always hilarious to bring up. Um, but we've heard the talk about Juwan Howard and maybe his time coming to an end at Michigan. There's now starting to become rumors, uh, in Indiana about them moving on from Mike Woodson. Do you think we could have the, the possibility? this offseason where Michigan, Ohio State, and Indiana are all looking for a new uh, men's basketball coach?
2: who, buddy, yeah, I think so. Wow. Um, I will say the remarks that I've seen from Ward Manuel, the athletic director at Michigan, makes it seem like he is real lukewarm about making a basketball change right now yeah. with everything they're going through on the football side, uh, losing Jim Harbaugh. and you know, Jawan Howard is the type of coach who's going to get an extra year because of who he is, much like Patrick Ewing got an extra year at Georgetown when it was very clear that the thing was going down fast. Um, He's just that guy at that university. And so I think within that community, community, you can justify giving him another year. Um, And for that matter, you can make the same case for Mike Wood. But where it gets interesting, especially with Indiana, is Dusty May, right? Because he is the former Bob Knight manager, the rising star in the profession, Uh, A lot of smoke around him, maybe looking to jump this cycle. And if Ohio State is on the phone with Dusty May, and you're Indiana, and you're sitting there thinking, Mm "Well, we might be firing Mike Woodson next year, but if Dusty May's already at Ohio State, he ain't leaving Ohio State to go to Indiana. Uh, So, do you you go ahead and make a move on Woodson now, because the coach you really want is only going to be available now? Um, So, that's a tricky situation for that administration to navigate. And then, you know, with Michigan, I don't know what the is going to be, but based off the performance of the program and some of the off-court stuff with Jawan, uh, you would have no trouble justifying a move there or making no, a change.
1: No, not at all. But,
3: but what if Indiana's calculus is this? Okay, we want Dusty May, but we're not going to move that fast on him because we also may have Chris Beard sitting out
2: there. Yeah, I think I, I'm pretty bullish on the fact that I believe there will be at least one and likely two high-profile SEC coaches who jump this cycle. We've seen Bruce Pearl. He was talking to our, our Matt Norlander uh, last weekend about, you know, would he be content to finish his career at Auburn? Yes, absolutely. Is he committing to doing that? No, he's not. And w- would Pearl look to jump? Would Nate Oates uh, look to jump and get somewhere closer to his geo- geographic comfort zone? Eric you know, Molson. Mm-hmm. a muscleman I think has got to be fed up with some of the stuff that's happened at Arkansas sure. in recent months and he might want to uh to press reset so yeah this coaching uh, cycle is going to be interesting and you bring up Chris Beard I mean yeah he, he could be um he could be somebody to watch for too I mean clearly the man can coach uh Ole Miss has proven that that you can hire him and you know the backlash won't be so intense that that it's just that it's just crippling or anything so yeah, um, I, I kind of think we could see a couple of uh, SEC coaches make a jump and go somewhere else. Wow.
3: I mean, Nate, I think people would make a call to Nate Oates.
2: Sure. Yeah, why not? I mean, he's 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 done an incredible job, incredible job at Alabama. And, um, you know, another job that, that's interesting to keep an eye on here, like we're talking about these guys maybe being candidates for Ohio State. Well, let's say, for instance, Ohio State goes out and gets Mitch gets mick cronin who has deep ties in the state of ohio well then that opens the ucla job um you know and that one could be of interest to a natos or to a eric musselman or i kind of have a hard time seeing bruce pearl in la but um yeah maybe maybe that works i don't know um so yeah the, the dominoes could get interesting on the basketball side after what was also a very active carousel on the football side.
1: Yeah, it could be a very, very busy off season. Well, David, as always, thanks so much for joining us. We'll do it again next week. We'll be one week closer to Selection Sunday.
2: That's right. Looking forward to it, guys. Thanks. Thanks, David.
3: David Cobb with us every Monday talking college football and college basketball. And it's that time of year in the coaching carousel. It'll start spinning. Everybody's going to say, Brian, they're fine until that, la- that loss that eliminates them.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: That- That's when it gets real. It gets real at Jason's Deli year-round. And for any of your maybe March Madness get-togethers, fun times you're going to have, keep Jason's Deli in mind for all the catering needs, whether it's five or 5,000. They've got you covered. Dining in, to-go or delivery, wholesome food forever. It's a family thing at Jason's Deli. Over 200 Memphis area associates at all these great locations. A location, I promise you, very close to wherever you are right now. Cordova, Olive Branch. Ridgeway Road, and one over by the U of M at Poplar and Highland. Healthy, first franchise in the nation to be trans-fat-free. Jason's Deli, all about choice, regardless if you seek a gluten-free menu, vegetarian sandwiches, healthy kids' meals. If you'd like to invent your own via the Build Your Own selection, you will be delighted at Jason's Deli. And all those salads you can order off the menu, like the Mesa Chicken Salad, the Big Chef Salad, the Taco Salad, my favorite, Or go to the salad bar where you can prepare it however you would like. Over 30 items to choose from on the salad bar, all the soups, the meats, the breads, the spreads, the cheeses, all good. And good for you. Catering anytime, anywhere and complimentary ice cream at all the locations. Ridgeway Road across from MUS, Poplar and Highland by the U of M, Olive Branch and Cordova. Check them out online as well at jasonsdelly.com.
1: Well, let's get to a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking some bracketology with Shelby Mass from bracketwag.com.
0: We are real sports talk. Sports 56 WHBQ. Now back to Sports Time on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again are Brett Norsworthy and Bryant Dacus.
1: Welcome back into Sports Time. Brian and Brett with you in our family leisure studios. And joining us now to talk bracketology, Shelby Mast from BracketWag.com joins us now. Shelby, thanks for joining us again, and I want to start off with the Tigers. Um, it still seems like an uphill battle for them, but how much, if any, did that win over FAU help yesterday, and what do they need to do, um, the Tigers that is, to to get back into that conversation on the bubble for an at-large bid, or is it too late? Has that ship sailed for the Tigers?
4: I kind of think it might have already sailed for that, but they're still alive in the conversation. Uh, that was a nice win yesterday, but, again, it was Ford Atlantic, and they've just been a little above average. Mm-hmm. They've got that one Arizona win on their on their resume, and that was a real nice one. But they've also got home losses to Bryant and a couple others. So, it, it you know, it was a good win, a needed win, but it wasn't a world beat.
3: Your, your last four in Shelby, you have Wake Forest, Gonzaga, Colorado, and Ole Miss, and that would put Ole Miss in Dayton in an eleven versus eleven game in Dayton uh, against Wake Forest, Gonzaga, and Colorado would play uh, the the next night in Gonzaga or the first night that would be that would be the games in Dayton. If, if Gonzaga is close, they're in. They've done too much in that tournament through the years. I think if they can stay right there close to the, the, the conversation they're in and that win at Rupp Arena's you're not hurting.
4: It's not hurting and another thing that works in their favor, uh that they don't need to take any, any more bad losses. They've only got two regular season games left. And one of those is against St. Mary, which would not be that bad of a loss. Uh, so get past the other one which they should and then go into the tournament and get to the finals of that tournament I think they, they've got a shot that if they lose three to
3: St. Mary, it might be tough. Shelby, I was looking at some of the brackets for tournaments that start mid to later part of next week. It's mostly what we call one-bid leagues, but I, I like how they do it. And I, I, I want to say in the Ohio Valley Conference tournament, they have their one and two seeds. They're already in uh, the the two semifinal games. They bracket all the way to there. I wish more conferences and some of the bigger conferences would yield to and give a little more credit for teams that did all the work from January 3rd to now instead of just throwing them out there to to really do damage and, 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 and hurt themselves in their conference tournament.
4: The i e when a team has had a really good year, you know, four or five losses, and they get upset first round, well, used to, as of last year, they would at least uh, go to the NIT, but the NCAA has changed that rule. They're not automatically going. So th- those schools, that, if that happens, may not be playing postseason basketball.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they might not. I'm curious uh, for you, looking at your uh, teams that you have uh, uh, others considered for an at-large, you've got St. John's as that first team there. They're coming off of a big win yesterday at home against Creighton. Only three games left for them, uh, the next one being Butler, which would be a quad one win. Uh, But then those other two, DePaul and Georgetown, the bottom two teams, in the Big East, what does St. John's need to do to, to get in position to try to make the tournament?
4: I think they need to win the last three games. Mm-hmm. You know, They definitely can't lose to DePaul or George that right. That's in, in discussion. But do that and then maybe win a couple in the tournament, and they're going to be right there watching, curious, on a slice of Sunday.
3: Yeah. She, Shelby, when, when, when I look at your next four out, our first four out rather. It's Villanova, Utah, Texas M, Texas A and M and New Mexico. Hadn't A and M just really done it to themselves.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I watched uh part of that game Saturday against Tennessee and they just reminded me of a team that would rather have been anywhere else but they They didn't they I mean here's a chance to get a big win on the road. Everybody's watching prime time and you lose about thirty five.
1: That's embarrassing, and I think that might have put the nail in the coffin. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, you're number one overall seeds. You've got UConn, Purdue, Houston, and then your fourth is Arizona. How tough is it for you uh, for that fourth spot? I know I've, I've heard a lot of people talking about, obviously you know who those top three teams are. Four is kind of up in the air. Are you super solid on, on Arizona, or could you make the case for other teams to have that last spot as a one seed?
4: I could definitely make the case for North Carolina with mm-hmm. all their road wins. Yeah. But the thing that got me, the reason I'm keeping them, even with a home loss to Washington State, who's a very good team, uh, the committee last week when they had their reveal said there was no discussion among the top four teams. Those were the top four in order. No one else was considered. Mm. So if there was that much of a gap, one loss to a really good team, for me, is not and that's not a bad. That's a good
3: point. Chevy UConn with the chance to repeat hadn't had that since Florida oh six oh seven. I keep a running list, and I, I I do a college football and a college basketball kind of all time top twenty, and I have it since nineteen seventy two. That's 52 years ago, but that's also, and the reason why I use 72 is, you know, I, I didn't want to go back to the two short shorts and basically the peach <laughs> basket. And in yeah. 72, we had freshman eligibility. At most places by then, real integration was, was was taking hold so that's kind of why i used it since then look i i I could back it up even more to 74 75 even but i i I use 72 let's just say i'm right on on my list i have north carolina one all time duke two kentucky three ucla four and i have uconn five if uconn went back to back if let's just say i'm right on ucla at four in Kentucky at three, shouldn't UConn go past Kentucky and UCLA? I think so. They do six,
4: six uh, titles in what twenty-one years. That's
3: three different coaches,
4: three different coaches, and and they've done them. You know, not all of them has been as dominant, but they've been pretty dominant last year in the tournament, and this whole season they've been pretty dominant. So I, I think that's a fair assessment.
3: I know, I know a lot of Kentucky fans, we, you know, hey, you're, you're leaving out, you know, all, all Adolf Rupp. Well, yeah, I did. And, you know, and, you know, that, the integration aspect to that, uh, really comes into it w- with him in, in starting in 72. I think he might have actually still been there in 72. It's close anyway. And UCLA, I know I'm leaving out a lot of John Wooden, but the tournament's really changed since then, but 52 yeah. years is a big sample size and whether UConn did it in the last, 30 years or not, they, they did it.
4: Right, they, they did it. in the tournament back then, uh, the way I understand it, uh, UCLA and the, the really good teams only really had to play one or two games.
3: That's it. And a lot of times for UCLA, it was either in Los Angeles or in San Diego.
4: Right. So it, it wasn't a true tournament like we're used to. Right. For me, it would be 85 when they extended to 64. I think that's when it was. Mm -hmm. But that's when the tournament really started gaining attention. Um, But, yeah, 72 that's a good starting point.
1: Yeah. Talking to Shelby Mass from BracketWag.com. He joins us every Monday to talk Bracketology. Big game tonight in the Big 12, TCU and Baylor. Right now you have Baylor on the three-line, TCU on the eight. Right now TCU favored at home. What would a win for TCU tonight at home against Baylor do? Would that move them up uh, to the seven-line for you?
4: It possibly could... uh... It would probably move Baylor down a line also because mm. that's three losses in a row. Yeah. training you know, to all good teams, but still, you know, three in a row. Uh, they're a good team, and I, I think TCU, that would pretty much assure them a spot in the tournament. I think they're set already, but if they lose their last four, they might be a little uh, nervous on selection someday, but this win tonight would be big.
3: Shelby, were you at the Houston-Baylor game Saturday? I was. That was it, fun. Wow. It, was it, fun. It, it, it looked at uh, love Shed, love Kelvin Sampson. If finally for Houston to win it, had, a, had five slam-a-jam, if had good teams the last few years under Kelvin Sampson, if they finally won it year one of the Big 12, I think that would make it even <laughs> more special for them. Oh,
4: yeah. And, I, and you know, I don't know what the national perception was, but for me, thinking they're going from good in the AAC to the Big 12. They're going to kind of get swallowed up. They'll still have a nice year, but finish fifth or sixth, that gets them in the tournament. But, man, they they, they just kept it going from last year. They're just too good. I've seen them in person, and how they've got 15 to 20 arms moving on defense, and it's hard to get and score on them.
1: Yeah, no, it was, it has been really impressive to see them make this transition to the Big 12. Uh, Kentucky, a lot of talk about them over the weekend with what they did against, uh, Alabama 117 to 95. Uh, win for them. Uh, it looks like you, know, you go back to those two wins against uh, Ole Miss and Auburn. It looked like they maybe turned a corner defensively. They can put up you know uh, 100 points against Alabama, even though not a very good Alabama defense. Um, you have them on the five line right now. What do you think, with only four games left for John Calipari's team, what do you think about this Kentucky team going into March? Uh,
4: they're looking better, and they're, they seem to be a, a 100% healthy. If they they can maintain that, they're going to be a team to really watch out for yeah. uh, when the tournament starts. I, I could see them possibly be them to the four line, but I'm comfortable with them on the five line. And uh, but I, I they they're looking
1: better and better. Yeah. Well, Shelby, always a ton of fun catching up and, uh-huh. and checking in on your latest bracket. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll do it again next week.
3: Get get some sleep, Shelby. Yeah,
1: please. I'm gonna
3: try. <laughs> it's not overrated. No, no. But, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Shelby. Thank you, Shelby.
1: Shelby Mass from BracketWag.com joins us every single week to talk about his most recent bracket.
3: Brian, you know these top twenties that I keep for football and college basketball, oh, yeah. and again, and I I, I don't want to move the the I don't I, I'm sure not moving backwards for the reasons I mentioned: freshman eligibility, real integration, and I don't want to move into say 1980 on right. kind of cbs being the the home of the final four on because that knocks out the tigers in 73
1: yeah yeah no that's a good point and, and, and
3: i i don't have the tigers in in my all-time top 20 i have them as notables omitted mm-hmm. and if, if you move 73 out it it, it would really uh harm them yeah. and it's a pretty good starting point. Maybe I need to move it back a year or two, but I I don't want to. You know, who UConn is
1: who
3: UConn is the is the Miami of college basketball. What oh. Miami did, Miami did it in that shorter yeah. burst. They did it over three coaches. Oh wow! That that that's that's what UConn's become. Especially if they win it this year, that's what they've done.
1: Wow, that's uh that's a really good comparison. All- and I, and I've got Miami for in football. Real, wow. So, no, that's a really good. In, and speaking of three different coaches at UConn, uh, one of those coaches that won at UConn, uh, we can see tonight at FedEx Forum against the Grizzlies and Kevin Ollie now. Sure The, can. Uh, the interim coach. I,
3: I, I, I think me hanging on to UCLA in my four spot is I, I, I can talk all that letting go mm-hmm. before 1972. I can't. Right. I can't let go of Al Sundor, Wicks, mm-hmm. uh, and even Walton in 72. In in 73, just inside, but really in the modern era, UCLA's just won it once.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I mean it's been especially this season, it's been disappointing at at, at UCLA and kind of been a lot last, of disappointing. Yeah, over the last, you know, couple of years it's been pretty disappointing out there. So now I think where you've got it set up, I think you've got a, a good starting point um and, and very impressive list for sure. But let's go ahead and get to a break and when we come back it'll be time for a big number of the day.
0: Add a little fun to your lunch break join Johnny Radio for Sports 56 Happy Hour from 11 to 1 every weekday on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports Time on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again are Brett Norsworthy and Bryant Dacus. Mm.
1: Big Daddy. Hello, Big Brand. It's a guy. He wants to be big. Then he gets big. He doesn't want to be big anymore. Then he gets small, but the suit's too big. The
4: big Daddy.
1: The Big Boy.
2: You're a big guy. I think she's trying to pull a fast one on Big Daddy.
3: The Big Number of the Day.
1: Well, there's a couple of different directions I could go for my big number today, uh, but I think I'm going to go with the number Five. Okay. All right? Kind of a small number, but a big number. Uh and it, just to warn everybody, it's a hockey big number today. Uh, but I think everyone's gonna like this one. Uh Matt Rimp, he is a rookie for uh the New York Rangers, and he has played five games in his career. Five games a season, five games in his career, one goal, one assist. You know, not bad for five games. But that is not uh where this big number is going. Matt Rimp, career ice time. Uh, This was from a couple days ago. Uh, Matt Rimp, career ice time, nine minutes and 56 seconds. Matt Rimp, career penalty minutes, 27. He already has twenty seven penalty minutes. He just cannot turn down a fight. He's mm. he's gotten into a couple already that have made sports center big fights. He's a big does guy. he win the fights? He does. He's like six seven, six eight. Dang guy, he's a big hockey
3: okay, player. I don't mess with him. Dang. guys on guys on <laughs>
1: his teammates are coming out and saying like if something happens, we know that he's just gonna go like jump in and stick up for everybody. He's a rookie. Like this is not something that you know happens. What we used to call
3: he's that in hockey. An enforcer. No, a goon. Oh, a
1: goon. Well, but that's the, <laughs> Brett. He's he's like can not we say goon, goon anymore? You, you, you I can. think I think <laughs> you can. But he uh, he is not uh, Rimpy. I'm I'm being corrected by by hockey people. I didn't know we had hockey people listening. Way to go, um, Rimpy. Uh, but uh, I mean, this guy he's like six seven, six eight, um, and just man, loves those two fight.
3: hockey fans. Thank you for your not score.
1: really, not really even an force or anything. You. Just we a guy really that do. likes to cut it up and and drop the gloves. I love it.
3: So he's a, he's a tough guy. Where's he from?
1: Uh, that's a great question. He is from Calgary, Canadian. Oh, the Canadians love to drop the gloves.
3: They do. For the nicest people on earth, they really like to fight, don't they? Yeah,
1: well, you know, you can only be so nice, Brett.
3: But, but on the rink, it, it, it's right. loud. My, my big number is 42. Khalif Battle on Saturday for Arkansas had 42 points in Arkansas's win over Missouri. He did it on 15 field goal attempts, oh. and while playing, he had zero turnovers. Wow, Mizzou's really bad, yeah. but still, that that's a performance. I'm not. I, uh, it's not a comparison to the Tigers, but in kind of getting hot, maybe too little, too late. If Arkansas can win tomorrow night against Vandy and somehow get into that 10th spot, where they dodge Wednesday. They would play the seven on Thursday. That looks to be somebody like maybe LSU or Mississippi State. Mm. They could get to Friday.
1: Yeah, no, they really could. I mean, they've got the they've got the players for it. Yeah. It just has not meshed this year. I mean, they got good idea. players, uh, but no, that Missouri team is uh, is not good.
3: Forty two points on fifteen field goals. That's crazy. While committing zero turnovers,
1: that's crazy. No, that's a uh, that is a really really good big number. Anyway. Arkansas, Vandy
3: tomorrow night. Yep. Then at Kentucky, that's a loss. Home against LSU mm-hmm. at Bama, probably two losses left.
1: Yeah, probably two. But um, I saw uh, you know I saw an updated tournament uh, bracket, and you just kind of laid it out. I mean, there is a a way for them to to make you know to go to Nashville and win a couple games.
3: Everybody's trying to dream that impossible dream, right? Sure,
1: now. sure. I mean, it's everybody, and it just rarely ever happens.
3: Purdue, you know, if they're dreaming of don't don't get knocked out in the first round.
1: That's right. <laughs> just win, just win a game, and then you know, maybe just maybe lose, and then you can get some rest before. Uh, You know, you lock up that number one seed. But no, we're getting closer and closer. And I mean, some tournaments start next week. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to get more day baseball, which is always um, a ton of fun. But we need to go ahead uh, and wrap up this hour and get to a break. We talked a lot of college basketball today. But the Grizzlies, they're back in action tonight at home against the Brooklyn Nets. Kevin Ollie, uh, the new interim head coach in Brooklyn, will be in town uh, against the Grizzlies. So let's get to a break. And we'll when we come back we'll talk a ton of grizzlies with the michael cole from the commercial appeal